Hello, everybody. This is Supreme Decisions, and you're listening to the Supreme Decisions Legal Minute Podcast. Well, this is actually kind of a slowdown. I've been doing a few other things the last couple of days, but we're actually going to start speeding this thing up because today is the actual 21st of December 2022, and we're only on episode six of season three when we're trying to get 25 out in the next 10 days. Well, I've been kind of walking a path during this kind of um, series, I guess you can call that, or directive. You know, started with the, the supreme direction to give you stuff where I'm talking about the weaponizing your defense. Last episode, I talked about... Uh, Sergeant Inman from the Richmond County Police Department and her actions along with those that followed her. Prior to that, I talked about the context of discovery. And in between there, I gave you a couple of iterations that go along with discovery, even with Jiglio information, and kind of elaborated on putting police officer's character on trial whenever you're being selected because I talked about also the choosing of those that they are criminalizing so to speak because I talked about the the actual meaning of officer discretion which then goes into prosecutorial discretion but now I'm actually going to give you a different light that light is going to be about due process because many of us for whatever reason we live in the world of should I've actually had several conversations over the last three or four days where people think about should and they ask questions like, why would they? And then whenever you go back, and I actually refer them back to my videos. I refer them back to the Supreme Decisions Legal Minute podcast. I refer them back to things and even incidents which answer those why should questions. Because if they were doing it the right way, or if they were told to do it the right way, why is it every police department has stock language? Quit resisting. He's reaching for my gun. Gun, gun, gun. Stop resisting. I was in fear for my life. And when we're talking about the ideals of the 18% being the majority of criminalizations, and we talk about the actual start or conception or even purpose of policing, we look at the origins and why. 
and then we talk about in J. Cole fashion there are good people that are police officers but we know that those that they are becoming police officers are doing it voluntarily and is not the most intelligent of those because those are not the ones that are easily controlled and only follow orders and those are also not the ones that are not seeking to perform better this is what I mean by that because they're told to go through quotas they're told to criminalize life while in fact very few of them actually know how to enforce actual law because they are not trained on the process of law so when I say they're not looking to get better it's they're not even trained to begin and I actually went into a context with one where I asked him I said you get upset with people challenging you on law and you are law enforcement why is it you don't get upset with those that trained you to be law enforcement that have failed you that have placed you in a position to where you are incapable of performing your job properly because most people don't think of it that way so even when we're talking about prosecutorial procedures I talked about the other day very few police officers who've taken an oath have actually read the Constitution of the state that they have taken their oath to defend because let's say the example I gave was the Constitution of Georgia it says plainly police officers are the servants of the people but if you ask a police officer in Georgia who do they work for they will not tell you they are working for the people of Georgia they won't even use the word servitude or working in service of. But this is what goes into the deprivation of rights. This is what goes into the violating of one's due process. Because you're coming in with a negative idea. You're believing and feeding into the idealized stereotypes and you're making assumptions all things that are not part of law because when I talk about Terryville Ohio a police officer does not have the ability to work on a hunch which is why whenever they come and see you they're supposed to begin with a totality of circumstances when I talked about the J. Cole effect I'm a, I, I did a little pause for the dramatic effect but I talked about the J. Cole effect J. Cole stated that when asked are there good police officers how can they be good when the system itself is set up poorly and it's set up bad I'm going to ask now if someone is choosing who is committing a crime and then someone is choosing who to prosecute as a criminal.
How is it you have two commonalities who's making conscious choices of choice? How can we then say this is actually the actualities of what it is when we're not doing the exact same thing because we're talking about skin tones and textures versus humanality. So whenever I speak about due process, I talk about the due process standards which may be lowered in the presence of overwhelming video and photographic evidence of guilt. Now, many of us often go through the context and we'll watch videos on YouTube and we'll watch them on TikTok, which, you know, I've actually watched a few on TikTok now since they're allowing longer videos. And because of my inherent bias, because I'm going to admit I have one, because even when we're talking about IDs, all of us are racially biased because most people didn't even know 80% of eyewitness IDs are wrong when it's cross race because by me being a dark skinned gentleman all white people look alike all Caucasians look alike all Asians look alike all Europeans look alike my descriptions are going to be faulty because it's going to be generalized. And I've often given, given other contexts. One of my favorite movies is A Righteous Kill. It says some people respect a badge, everybody respects a gun. The problem is when you have the untrained and the unbelieving and a gun is put in their face, they don't see anything else. They see the gun. How do I know this? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you something. I was 16 years old. And they had just began building what is now known as the Riverwalk. One of the things I did, I actually went down and I was a little stick-up kid. One night, I actually got... A little brazen because I wasn't going there to do anything wrong. I was just going there to meet some girls. Well, I saw one of my boys was getting jammed up a little bit. I didn't throw on a ski mask. I ran up on the people and I put a gun in their face. When I walked off, because I didn't run, because I understood... If you're looking for someone that just committed something heinous, not going to be looking for the guy that's walking. You're looking for the guy that's trying to get away. Wasn't a great idea. Because I was stopped. Now, the context that I'm giving you is I was actually picked up for a crime that I did commit. The people were unable to identify me or unwilling to identify me. The description that the police officers had was it was a big black guy with a black gun. Well, when I was searched, I didn't have a gun. They searched the area around me, didn't find a gun. But they couldn't give any other descriptions other than he was kind of big. 
He was black. So the police let me go. Now, can I tell you this was a Caucasian couple that this happened to? Absolutely. Was this a gamble at that time? Absolutely. But later I understood the context of why it happened. They couldn't identify me because I looked like every other tall black guy to them. Does that make that part of the investigation due process? In that, play, in that case, due process worked out in my favor. There were other cases that did evolve, even in the context of the RICO trial. Part of the due process is understanding what I am supposed to be able to get. Because in any thing where you're dealing with a tribunal, the judge itself or herself must be unbiased. Well, when we're talking about things of video and graphic evidence of guilt, we also have to talk about the cross-race identification because as a dark-skinned male, there's not a bunch of judges that look like me. So there's not a lot of judges that are going to be able to see the world as I see it. So the inherentness is then to take notice of the proposed actions and the grounds to assert for it. What does that mean? You have to understand the context of the debate itself because that's what it is. It's an adversarial system. You have a contract to show up to an event. You have a fight date. And what you have to understand is not just vocalize, I know my rights. I understand my rights. It's you now have to perform and exercise and execute your exercising of your rights. You must understand that the proposed action that's there before you, the fight, you must understand actually the grounds that they are presenting or asserting for that fight. Because that's why the judge always asks you, do you understand these charges against you? He's asking, do you understand the grounds that are being asserted for this matter? But where a lot of people fall down is the understanding of the constitutionality of that protection. Because we have a responsibility with that right. I'm going to say that again. We have a responsibility with our rights. We have a responsibility for our rights. Because if I'm going to stand on my own square, if I am going to assert my rights, I must first understand how to use the weapons that are set before me. Now, one of my, one of my favorite things is 
Benjamin Franklin. Many people didn't know Benjamin Franklin was a master mason. He was also one of the founding fathers of the country. He was one of the ideal shapers of our judicial system. Now, there's not a whole lot of everything that you can go on from that, but these are things just to give you context. He stated, the pen is mightier than the sword. He is the, 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 the ancestral Tupac. Because Tupac stated, a coward dies a thousand deaths. A soldier dies but once. When we're talking about the killing of someone. We're talking about the evolutionary ideals of massive change. When he spoke about, I'm going to kill you breathing. When you're going into these courtrooms and they are robbing you because of your failure to exercise. You don't hear that. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me, let me bring it back around. When you're going into these courtrooms and they are robbing you because you are failing to exercise your rights properly. Failing to force them to do their job properly. Failing to offer your employee the opportunity to be fired. It falls then on your shoulder. That's why even your defense attorney, when you pay him, you are his employer or her employer. You are the one that's at work. It is your prerogative. McCoy v. Louisiana. The public pretender. Remember, they're working with the prosecutor. They're not working for you. They're working to make the prosecutor's job easier. And if you're not doing what you're supposed to and for as far as instruction, you are the one that suffers as well as if you have to go and appeal. Remember, it's ineffective assistance of counsel not ineffective counsel ineffective assistance because they are assisting you because you are the one that's responsible for it but now it goes next into the opportunity to present reasons why the proposed action shouldn't take place these are things that are called motions to dismiss motions for summary judgment motions to vacate even certain appeals go into these conjectures of to present reasons why the proposed action shouldn't or should not have been taken place. Now, these are things that actually trickle down into other aspects. Because... When we're talking about not only 
racial bias. There's even uh, Title IX of the Educational Amendment. And it deals with, which is Title IX, is a federal statute that prohibits, prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in any educational program or activities that receive federal funding. These things are brought up because we hear things like, that's a man's job. That's a woman's duty. That's what women do. We often hear people, well, you're not a man if you don't do. Those are things that are considered or categorized as general, what do you call it? <laughs> Gender bias. Because even when we're talking now, and as, as has been placed, the fluidity of genders now, all of those can be taken into separate actions because of the human aspect of it. The human fallibility of ideals. Now, I'm going to say something that's unpopular. I'm going to give you that. You ready? We were having a conversation one day and we talked about something. And it's talking about the open acceptance of something. Anything, no matter what it is. Let's say I have an idea of how I feel about someone that is considered a transgender. Right? Let's say I have an idea. I'm going to openly say right now, I don't care what it is you do at your house. The only question I have is, why would I then have to accept it? But if I'm now a juror, that is something that can be called a Bassett challenge because of my ideals that can be stated or even be brought into a unbiased tribunal. I'll say that one more time. That can become a Bassett challenge based on an unbiased tribunal. Why? Because that falls under the due process requirement. I might be from a time that doesn't that that's never really uh, hey, you don't ask don't tell. I think that's what it was whenever I was coming up don't ask don't tell. But now I have someone in front of me that I'm supposed to actually pay attention to evidence. Maybe they don't look like me. Maybe they do look like me. I can sympathize if they're looking like me. But maybe they don't behave as I do. Or they don't behave as I think they should. These are all inherent human biases. These are the things that take away from due process. But these are also things that should always be challenged in our responsibility. Yes, I'm, I'm speaking kind of kind of in, in tempo because I want you to understand and actually grab this. Because your feelings, your ideas are all biased based on your experiences. And what I always get with people whenever they're talking about the shoulds, when I'm talking about the shoulds, 
one of the things that they can never grasp on is the simple fact that just because you accept something doesn't mean that I do. And just because you believe something doesn't mean that I do. Because we talk about the man that walks a mile in my shoes. Not sure if you're feeling these 14s like they should be. I talk about being arrested at 16. I talked about being having my first real police encounter and being in an interrogation room at 17. I even talk about at the age of 32 where I'm I'm sitting there and I'm telling my brothers, hey, I think they're going to kill me. Uh, waterboard me so I can know how much I can take. Why? Because I was mentally placed into a place where I felt a bias just because of something that I had experienced. Now, if I was to take that now into a courtroom, that can become detrimental to you. Because even people say, well, because you do this, you have a bias towards police officers. So me sitting on the as a juror in a case against a police officer, that can be perceived or even utilized as a due process bias. Especially if they file for a Bassett motion for getting me removed. Because you are allowed an unbiased tribunal. But I actually went through this whole soliloquy to get, get the question because, again, we're living in should. The question I've often asked is, if we all have an inherent bias towards something, and we're all painting a picture. Why is it that we should even go to a jury? Why should we even challenge all the way to the jury? Why is it we should go through any of this? Right? Because it seems difficult. It seems complex. Well, that's where you come in and you understand human nature. You understand the context of being able to reach across the, across the line. Because I have a story to tell. When I did that podcast, that was, I was thinking about Biggie because Biggie told you, I have a story to tell. They talk about Dave Chappelle. He's one of the greatest storytellers. And we watch show after show after show after special after special after special because we're engaged in that story. The one thing that you have to do whenever you're sitting down and you're presenting your right to present evidence and including the right to call witness when you're exercising in your presentation of evidence or exercising your right to oppose evidence, including the right to not only call witnesses, but the right to cross-examine witnesses. And you're exercising. You have a story to tell. You have an ability to break through certain biases by connecting through story, by connecting through relations, by connecting with humanity. 
Because one, I'm going to give you something, but I'm going to go back to due process and just say, because one of the things that most people never understood is the prosecutor refers to you as defendant. The defendant, the defendant, the defendant, and you're out there in an the orange jumpsuit. Why? Because you're programmed that those are in the jump, orange jumpsuit, they're already guilty. Why? Because they're playing up a mental bias. They're playing up a programmed bias. They're reaching across the lines. Why? Because that goes into the dark-skinned family household. That goes into the Asian family household. That goes into the Caucasian family household. That orange jumpsuit means they're guilty. That's a criminal over there. But one of the things that we did, I did a motion in limine. I took out the ability for them to call me defendant. Because I'm with the Tupac culture. Say his name. If you're going to refer to me, you're going to say my name. I made him say my name. Say my name. I want you to understand the power of a name. Understand that. I made them say it. Every, Richard, Richard, Richard. Because what happened was I connected through a bias. I connected because now I am human. And it's difficult for a jury to throw away a human being. They have no problem throwing away defendants. I'm going to say that one more time because Robert Shapiro used my motion in limine in the George Zimmerman trial. When you heard the jurors at the end of the trial, after acquitting George, that's what they referred to him as. George, George, George. Why? Because they crossed over a bias. He had a story to tell. Because George is relatable. The defendant is not. I'm going to say that again. George is relatable. Defendant is not. Richard is relatable. Defendant is not. Say my name. But here's when we're talking about the due process. We're talking about the understanding as in Doville, Ohio State University as a 2017 case. Federal and state governments may not deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. the unbiased tribunal, the notice of proposed action, and the grounds asserted for it, the opportunities to present the motion to dismiss, the opportunity to present the summary judgment, the right to present evidence, including call witnesses, the right to know opposing evidence. I'm going to get into that because that's probably the worst one. And the right to cross-examine witnesses. But again, they have the right for an unbiased tribunal, even through police selection. Y'all didn't hear me. Y'all didn't. I'm going to say that one more time because I'm actually going to go into something else too. 
you have the right to an unbiased tribunal, even through police, oh, excuse me, officer discretion. Because that's the mental that we have. That's the mental programming that's placed upon us. Officer discretion. Because officer choice doesn't exist. But officer discretion sounds better. We can live with officer discretion. We're more familiar with officer discretion. But we forget about it just means officer choice. Hence, why whenever you go to sue them in their individual capacity, it's based on their loss of immunity is based on, excuse me, their loss of immunity is based on, their loss of qualified immunity is based on willful actions, which means a choice. A knowing choice. They're choosing or they're not trained well enough to know what law is because they're acting on ignorance based on policy. I'm going to say that one more time because, again, it's willful actions or ignorance. They're making a choice to do it or they don't know how to do it properly and they are doing it anyway. Now, this is for the police officer. Cause do you see the lies you've been told? Do you understand those that are asking questions are those that employ you by your choice? Don't worry about it because I'm going I'm to I'm get to the yak. I didn't even talk about, about the yak or the pencil or the paper or popcorn because we don't even need that today. We don't need to get a knee ready to get right. Just want you to understand, we don't need to get a knee ready to get right because today we're talking about the process. So when we're talking about the Philadelphia um, 76ers trusting the process, we're talking about enforcing the process. Because at the federal and state levels, they may not deprive you of your life. Your liberty, which is your freedom to move. Or your property, which is asset forfeiture. Without due process of law. Because again, they are servants that chose to serve you. Whoops. Because procedural due process requires that a person subject to deprivation by the government receive notice and an opportunity to be heard both of which have been defined in detail by the Supreme Court. I think I need to say that one more time because I'm going to miss those in the back. Procedural due process requires, that means it's not a choice, the requirement of procedural due process, that a person subject to deprivation by the government receive notice and, biggest words in law, if, and, or. Receive notice and an opportunity to be heard. Receive notice and an opportunity to be heard in an unbiased tribunal with the right to present evidence 
including the right to call witnesses, the right to know opposing evidence, and the right to cross-examine adverse witnesses. The most detrimental of all of those is what many have known as a Brady violation because a prosecutor does not want someone to defend themselves. They want to violate the procedural due processes that are required. The preparation because they don't want them to have the right to know opposing evidence. But when we're talking about this, because I, I, I'm going to get into other aspects, but I want to talk about the context, because even with our inherent biases, one of the things that should be, should be weighted on, especially when we're talking about the police encounters, right? One of the things I talked about always was get a dash cam. I literally have two videos that I put up like I want to say in 2019 and 2020 where because a dash cam now for anybody is no longer a luxury. It is absolutely a necessity. I'm going to say it again. A dash camera for anyone is no longer a luxury. It's a necessity. Because even in the context of watching the TikTok video, where I talked about Sergeant Inman, who's the leader of men, went into a house illegally. And one of her deputies blocked, obstructed, put his hands over someone's camera while he was performing an illegal act. Now, it's plain to see. Now, I could be biased. But would I be able to lay down some of that bias when I see someone's hand go up towards a camera and then I hear them say, don't film me when they're illegally entering someone else's home and walking towards the person that is filming who has the right to do so? Or would that actually be following law? And would he also be waiving his qualified immunity because he's performing an action, which is illegal, and then obstructing, which is a violation of his oath because either he's willfully doing it or he doesn't know that that's illegal because he wasn't trained properly. But I get back to that because constitutionally acceptable because visual evidence established the guilt of the accused. So does that then say, hey, Richard isn't biased towards police. He's noticing what's being played on the video and he's listening to the coinciding audio of that action. And he's making a determination from what he saw 
and what he heard. Because the video sometimes help alleviate bias. Because photos and videos can objectively depict guilt. The court has an opportunity to then accept it and stay in the manner of due process. Because one of the things that you're never going to get around, because especially if you live in the world of should, no one else sees you like you see you. I'm going to say that one more time. No one on this planet sees you like you see you. One of the things I loved was I would walk home, walk in the house on some, some days, and my youngest son, as soon as he saw me, his face would light up. He'd run to me and give me a hug. I used to love that. But he saw me like no one else saw me. Now, I'm going to give you an example of that because it was, it was hilarious. Me, him, my grandmother, a couple of my nieces were riding. My grandmother gets a flat tire. For some reason, there's no jack in the car. My son, little three-year-old, looks at looks at my grandma, big smile on his face, said, don't worry about it, grandma, my daddy got it. And I said, I asked him, I said, hey, what you mean? He looks at me and says, you can lift up grandma's truck so she can put the tire on. Now, I have no clue how strong he actually thought I was. But he saw me like no one else saw. I didn't see me that way. I appreciate it. That's a great look for you, boy. But it also went right back to human nature. He had an inherent bias about the strength and protective ideals of who his daddy was. We all have it. It's there. Could I have used it to my benefit? Or could I actually throw my back out trying to prove this fool right? But whether I did it or not, I actually just gave him a story. Why I wasn't going to implement his idea of who his daddy was. But I also wasn't going to change his idea of who his daddy was. Because the story was enough. So when we're dealing in these, we have to understand how to tell the story and allow the story to be enough. But we cannot live in the world of should. Because in his eyes, I should be able to lift up that van so she can put that tire on. The reality is, there's no way in the hell I was going to be able to do that without assistance. So, even though he saw the world differently, I understood that he saw the world differently. I didn't look to change the name. I understood that there was no spoon. So I didn't look to bend the spoon. I allowed his mind to be free. 
And it was my mind that changed. I didn't change his bias. And many of us think because it, oh, that's wrong. You shouldn't think that way. Doesn't mean that they're not thinking a certain way. They're not seeing you a certain way. Because most people don't even understand the psychology of colors. If I'm wearing that orange jumpsuit, I am a criminal. It's easier to convict me. If they're calling me defendant, the name. Say my name. That allows them to see me differently. Because we see with our eyes and our ears. I'm going to say that again. We see with our eyes and our ears. Because a lot of times we'll hear a bang and then we'll turn around and look for it. And then when we see smoke, we figure, oh, that's where that bang came from. So when I'm seeing an orange jumpsuit, when I'm hearing someone yelling and angrily and they're accused of something, let's say like an assault, I can see it now. But if I don't see the orange jumpsuit and I don't see the anger in an assault case, it's because I've gone past the bias. I've understood human nature. I've exercised. And I've got a story to tell. And I'm reaching across and they're following into it. Because the greatest thing that we have at our hand, and not every time some, this happens it's a 1983 but we do have when the defendants violate their constitutionally due process rights under 42 USC 1983 you have the option you have the right to be heard in a federal court because your federal rights have been violated Now, it's easier to get a context of, the, of why, why they're violated. Because again, most of us just accept, well, I had an all-white jury. And we forget about the other aspects of that bias. We forget about the other opportunities of exercise. Because even when you go into a gym, and they just have a set of barbells. You can lay on the floor. You can do bench press. You can actually take that um, barbell and you can do curls. You can then take that barbell and do military press. You can actually take that barbell and do side press. You can actually take that barbell and do squats. Same barbell. Many different exercises. Same thing with law. You have several different options when it comes to these things, but you have to understand how to exercise because whenever I talk about this, I often say this, I'm the best and it's just, when I'm helping you, it's just an opportunity to prove, prove it. That's it. I'm the best that does this and this is just another opportunity for me to prove it. That's it. Because you have someone that not only knows how to play the game, but I understand how the pieces move and I play it to win. 
So when I talk about chess and I talk about the elements of chess and I talk about the strategies and how to implement all this, I'm not just spewing out BS. Even whenever I had a guy ask me, where are you reading from? And I'm like, damn, I could have sworn I've said it. Because every time I begin to read something, I tell you where I'm reading it from. I'm going to say that again. Because a lot of times when I'm reading something, I tell you where I'm reading it from. So I, I, actually, I think that was one of the things that my response, like, like where did I say I was reading it from? Because I asked and I read from several sources. Because even today, I'm reading from several sources. That's why you hear the clicking and popping and you hear the paper rustling. You, I'm doing research. I'm not just giving you something. I don't play law. I don't just get on these podcasts just to talk. Because many of you know I hate my voice. I hate doing this. But this is part of the process. Because not only are you going through one, I have to go through one. I can't just talk this. I have to actually live this. I have to be this. I have to accept this as it is. And as it evolves, so shall I. Say it one more time. As it evolves, so shall I. Because even though the Section 1983 creates a private right of action for individuals who are deprived of any rights, privileges, or immunities protected by the Constitution or federal law by any person acting under the color of law. Now, many people here the color of law, the color of law, the color of law. And most people don't understand how it actually works. But the color of law is actually a designation as in working based on a policy and something that is not actually law. Actually, I think one of my, I think the second video I did Wearing a cutoff shirt, I'm on my way to the gym, and I think it says policy isn't law. And I'll give you a super old case. But the case has never been overturned because policy doesn't create law. And what amazes me is the fact that police officers don't work the totality of circumstances, they work on someone's feelings in their criminality selections. But then we must understand and realize from their choice. But one of the things that give you, that I'll give you today is Matthew versus Eldridge. It is basically a test which weighs three components to consider the determination of constitutional requirements for the due process means that are placed upon you that are met. Now, if they are all three not met, there is a due process violation. Matthews v. Eldridge. Now, one is the private interest affected by government action. Now, this actually is something that we're going to work on because it's something that happens to men in divorce proceedings. Now, does it happen to women in the case? Absolutely. 
Because I know we're going to, well, women have to have things done in in federal court and court too when divorced. Absolutely. I've actually seen it, you know, it happened to one of my friends, but, you know, it, it doesn't change the numbers. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Most often time, the private interest affected by the government's action is placed upon the man. And in that case, that violation has to be proven a certain way. And then two, the risk of erroneous deprivation of the interest through the application procedures and the probable value of further procedural safeguards. Now, I said a lot to say this is the unbiased tribunal, the proper notice, the grounds for asserting it, the opportunity to present reasons, all of that. That's what that entails. Because again, we then get back to the right to knowing opposing evidence. Because even the prosecutor is liable for Brady, even if they don't have it. But the context is you're exercising it. Because I'm going to get into a little bit more of this, but it's going to deal with this thing called challenging opposing evidence. Challenging opposing evidence. Challenging. You become adverse to the evidence presented, but you have to, one, know what it is. But the biggest part is knowing what to request in your detailed discovery. Oh, damn, it's went right back to the same thing I talked about, which is the foundational thing of all of this. And three, the government's interest, including the burdens that further procedural requirements would entail, that would go into the fact of malicious prosecution because you don't not you don't have the opposing evidence because you've challenged it prior and it wasn't given to you. Yet going into a an appeal, going into a federal trial for removal, going into a federal lawsuit would then add to the burden of the government interest. See how all of this now starts to go together? Because it goes from the Matthews and versus Eldridge test. But it ties into due process, which then goes back to the prosecutorial choice, which then goes back to your challenging, your exercising, your rights, your responsibility. I'm going to go about the multiple meaningful opportunities to challenge the allegations, the evidence, and the findings. Those are procedural safeguards. But the keynote is if it is all done properly, would it change the outcome of any hearing? Because a lot of us feel guilty because there's a preponderance of evidence against us. That's why we have this thing called the Alfred plea. We actually heard about this, especially if you're younger. You heard about this when you saw Gunner. 
Gunner took an Alfred plea. He maintains his innocence while he's entering a guilty plea because there is a preponderance of evidence which he will probably be convicted of. Why? Because of an inherent bias because of, one, how he looks, who he's associated with, and where he'll have his selection done at. You then have via Carrie V. Pilfus, P-I-P-H-U-S, the right to procedural due process is absolute. These are not, because remember, it is a requirement. I said that earlier. Procedural due process is a requirement. Now you're hearing in Carrie V. Pilfus, the right to procedural due process is absolute. There's nothing going around it. But you have the responsibility to first challenge it. And I often talked about, because if you haven't heard it, if you haven't listened to it, and you're having questions about why, why did they didn't do this? Why is it on me? Why? Oh, why? Go listen to the podcast I did called The Tommy Sotomayor Question. I don't care if you don't like the man or not. I don't care if you like the show or not. You have to understand the question that he asked. Because it affects every human in the United States. It affects every human in the United States. It affects every human in the United States. The Tommy Sotomayor question gets rid of all the shoulds and ifs. Because he talked about it, although brief. It was very brief and it was in the middle of a regular show. And it, it was just, just something that hit him. But it was so profound that I had to talk about it. Because when we're talking about the absolutes, when we talk about police choice, we talk about prosecuted choice, we talk about defense attorneys assisting, I keep telling you, you are the most powerful person in the courtroom. Why is it now you're not listening? Because I'm talking about the volunteer servant, the police officer, the voted in prosecutor, the hired defense attorney, the voted in unbiased judge, Employee, 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 yet they want you to feel like they're doing you a favor. Everybody there works for you. Everybody there is there because of you. But everybody there wants to believe that they're higher than you. And when we're talking about the absolutes, you are the problem when you're exercising and you're knowing the opposing evidence. You're challenging adverse witnesses.
And the biggest part is when a judge makes a decision, it must be based exclusively on the evidence presented. Whoops. Because if you're challenging all the evidence and you know all the evidence and you cross-examine everyone, that decision has to be in writing. And it can only be based on evidence presented. Because you have to have an opportunity to challenge evidence. You have to have the opportunity. It is absolute. It is a requirement. And you have to understand again. The Matthews three-factor test was first conceived to address due process claims arising in the context of administrative law. A general approach for testing challenged state procedures under a due process claim. Administrative law. What does that fall? Oh. Would that actually be traffic court? Because traffic court is stated as an administrative court under administrative law, which means that the right to procedural due process is a requirement. The right to know opposing evidence is a requirement. The right to challenge and cross-examine adverse witnesses is absolute. Whoops. Sometimes I know whenever I speak, it sounds a little out there. I get it. Because I'm speaking without context. I knew that before I started. When I record a video, it's five minutes long. Yeah, you're not getting a whole bunch in five minutes. There's very little that can be done in five minutes that's good. I'm going to say that one more time. There's very little that can be done in five minutes that's good. Because even if you have sex, five minutes, ah. Uh, you want some juice? Anyway. Understanding the context of it. I know what's happening when I'm giving it to you. Because you can stick something in the microwave five minutes. You're eating it. This doesn't make it good. That's why when I give you these podcasts, I give you a full meal. You can actually call those videos the, the microwave side. But the podcast, I'm giving you meals. I'm giving you something heavy. Give me something that can put you to sleep. But I'm also giving you something that feeds your mind. I'm feeding your mind deep. Because not only am I giving you more material. I'm giving you context. I'm giving you insight. I'm giving you something to grow on. I'm offering you an opportunity to get better at whatever it is that you're doing. I'm allowing you to go deeper inside the rabbit hole for whatever it is that you are seeking. That's what I'm here for.
this is the ideals of where this is going. So whenever I say something and you're like, oh, bro, I need you to go a little deeper than that. Uh, I need you to understand that this isn't something that's going to just be willy nilly. I'm not just going to throw something out because you feel you need it. I'm going to give you what you need when you need it, how you need it. But again, it's easier to come to the source because I'm the best at this. And helping you is just another opportunity for me to prove that. Because I understand the game and how to play it at a high level. Because we often go out on the playground and be like, oh, that boy could have been in the NBA. But he's not in the NBA. I watched my boy Anthony Carter on the playgrounds out there in Bankhead. Out there just banging and banging. Many of you don't even know who that is. But anyway, Anthony Carter went from high school dropout to starter at the University of Hawaii to NBA phenom. But many of you never heard of him. Because even in his ability, he wasn't the elite when he got to the NBA. He wasn't even the elite while he was at the University of Hawaii. But on the street, he was that dude. He had the skills. He played at a high level. I'm Anthony Carter on this mic. I'm Anthony Carter in that courtroom. I'm Anthony Carter. Say his name when we talk about here because he is Bankhead. Understand, these aren't just just things I'm throwing out there. Understand, when I say I was, I saw him, I actually played against Anthony. I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to go into the show like Anthony, but I, 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 I got a chance to show like Anthony. When you have the opportunity, your opportunity is your, is your fight night. When you answer that contract, when you show up, because that's part of it. When you are prepared to look the devil in his eye. Because we can't say anything about the judicial system that's good. There's absolutely nothing about our current judicial system that is good, even a look. So when we look the devil in the eye, we got to be prepared to go wherever we need to go to win. That's why I tell people, you have to become a monster. Because only a monster can defeat a monster. You can't go in with the hindsight of, oh, well, that person was a nice person. Because you'll never be able to count the amount of people who said, well, I don't want to do nothing against them because they were nice to me. And then turn around two weeks later and that nice person is now suing them. That nice person is now testifying against them. I had 13 nice motherfuckers get the stand to testify against me after being helped. That nice means nothing. You have to be willing to do what's necessary 
for your freedom. Because the law doesn't care about you. you. Doesn't care about your freedom. Doesn't care about your family. Doesn't care about your time. The law only cares about itself. And when you're going into a person who's making a choice that you are a criminal. They've got to get 12 people to believe their story. You need one. But you need the one that was is willing to stand with you. But you also need to make sure you have exercised and challenged all possible evidence. And you've challenged and requested the cross-examination of adverse witnesses. And that the judge has only made the decision based exclusively on the evidence presented. Now, I know you know some of you are talking about, well, hey, dude, you actually said you we were talking about video. Because what I'm talking about in the due process aspect of this is video. And I am talking about the ideas of understanding that is the necessity. Video. Because further procedural safeguards would not have lessened the risk of erroneous deprivation in the interest or otherwise altered outcome. Now, when we're talking about altered outcome, it is your job, your responsibility to protect your life. It is your job, your responsibility to protect your interest. That's why whenever we went to McCoy v. Louisiana and the defense attorney is telling you, hey, you might as well take this deal. It's your prerogative because you can do what you want to do as long as that's constitutional. As long as it's lawful. Because I, I actually was dumbfounded the first time I found out that, oh, that police officer said this. You do realize you can now ask for his GPS information. I was like, what? I can ask for that? Then I read Jiglio BUS. You know you can... Ask for that officer's disciplinary report. What? I can ask for that? Because I actually just watched one today. I watched um, Indisputable. I'm actually going to do a show on him, too. It was, a, it was a guy here in Texas, in San Antonio. He gave a homeless man a feces sandwich. And the simple thing was he wasn't fired. His excuse was by the time they actually disciplined him, it was beyond six months. Well, dude, you can't you can't discipline me because it's beyond six months. Yet there's video of it. So there was no need for him to deny guilt, but there's also a separate action that should have been done because it took a separate act by the same police officer where a young lady exercised her rights against him. Pulled his jiggly information. She forced due process for him to then be for him to be not only reprimanded but also fired. It's understanding 
that subconscious bias affects viewers and perceptions of photos and videos. But also, we also have to understand the context of the challenge, the context of the story, the understanding that the bias is there. Knowing is half the battle because now I have an opportunity to prepare for that bias and how to go around it and reach through when my storytelling begins. When I am presenting evidence, when I am calling witnesses, when I am cross-examining adverse witnesses, when I am looking the devil in the eye, when I am forcing the judge to only make a decision exclusively on evidence presented. These things become different. Because even in the context of the video itself, and even understanding bias, data demonstrates that human perception of video imagery is often subject to various cognitive basis and disorder. What if I told you your experiences help shape your subconscious actions? But I actually did talk about that. I did talk about how it is difficult for myself to give a description of a different race and vice versa. I often speak about the ideas that when we're looking at something, the perception, because even my tone offers an idea or perception of who it is I am as a person, or even an action that I may be accused of, because we've often heard say, well, why'd you do that? Why did you do that? Why'd your voice get all high? Because in our ideas, in our minds, in our subconscious, we've been programmed to believe a change in pitch of one's voice is an indication of guilt or you're hiding something. That itself change in voice is a biased action that is a human response but knowing that I didn't have an opportunity to tell a story because the importance of any thing that I'm doing is exercising my right to procedural due process which is required and absolute. Now, Scott B. Harris, the Supreme Court determined that video evidence of a car chase provided by the dash camera of the policeman, Scott's cruiser, so utterly discredited the respondent's version of defense that no reasonable jury could have believed him. Now, 
the reason why I brought up Scott B. Harris was because how often I talk about police officers putting out a statement in their police reports, like the Amir Locke situation. The police officer stated he walked into the house and Amir Locke grabbed a gun and pointed at the officer. Yet, the video utterly discredited the officer's version of events. So, no reasonable jury should have been able to believe him. Yet, that officer is still working, which is what kind of creates a bias tribunal which is why a lot of times you'll hear someone say well well you should you shouldn't go to trial right now you shouldn't file that motion for speedy trial because you gotta let gotta let it cool off a little bit because what they're trying to do is negate some bias because going to trial right now dude you guilty because they ran you through the mud I can't, and basically the only thing they're saying is, I can't get you beyond the biases that I know will be present. I can't see beyond my own nose, is what they're telling you. I am deficient at what I'm telling you I have the ability to do. But most of us don't hear that. Because most of the people that are being told that aren't me. And most of the people that are saying that want to be me. Because I have the ability to shape the mind. If you don't believe me, how long have you been listening to me today? How long have you been listening to my voice in the past five years? Yes, I pause for dramatic effect because I want you understanding the recognizing that the existence of undisputed video evidence is also part of an exercise that allows you to opportunity to present reasons why the proposed action should not be taken. It justifies a summary judgment. I'm going to say that one more time. Recognizing that the existence of undisputed video evidence justifies summary judgment because it's the opportunity to present reasons why the proposed action shouldn't be taking place. Now, in the police officer's case that we just spoke about with Amir Locke, this action shows the grounds for the actions being asserted because he is negligent and he lied the lie itself allows for one to interpret the thought pattern but it also lays the grounds for the assertion of the purpose of that action the great part about this is knowing is half the battle 
because even in the evidence of that, it is a direct evidence of misconduct in the Amir Locke situation. But if you're riding around with a dash camera, it can be the direct evidence of police misconduct. It can also be the one thing that saves your life. I'm going to say that one more time. Having a dash camera can be the one thing that saves your life. Not only can it be life changing, it can be life saving, but it also can be used in a court because you have the right to present evidence. You have the opportunity to present reasons why the proposed action should or should not be taken. Because a judge's decision must be based exclusively on the evidence presented and direct evidence of misconduct allows it to be favorable to you. Now, I want you to understand this too. Because in any case, evidence portrays an objective truth. That's why you have to have a story to tell. That's why you have to have an open mind on your presentations. Because there are countless subconscious factors that shape people's perceptions of visual depictions of alleged crimes. Now, I'm going to give you another one. Because there was a young lady who was in Atlanta and found out she was actually visiting from Cleveland, her and her husband. And a cop showed partial part of the body camera. I ended up getting the full 30 minutes of it. Yes, he violated her rights by keeping her detained more than 20 minutes. But what happened was she refused to sign the citation because she didn't feel she was cited because there was no signage that stated what she was doing was illegal. Now, was it illegal? There's an actual city ordinance for it. But what happened was it's not posted. So it's not clear because she's not from Atlanta. So when she refused to sign, the officer became agitated. She then said, you know what? F it. I'll sign it. At this point, the officer agitation levels were high because he didn't like the fact that she was refusing his commands. So he grabs her and begins to wrestle with her and she's yelling, I'm going to sign a ticket. I'm going to sign a ticket. Her husband asked, officer, what are you doing? What are you doing? She's going to sign the ticket. The officer yells, it's too late now. I'm going to arrest her. The officer had made a conscious choice to arrest her after forcing her to sign a citation. And remember, I've often said, I've even given the Supreme Court case that says 
forced idea is illegal. That's one, because you have the right to remain silent. You have the right to remain private. And the signing of the citation is just a promise. That's it. It is not a requirement. Remember I talked about the officer choosing to arrest. Either through willful acts, which this was. Or through ignorance because he was not trained properly. In this case, it was through willful ignorance. Now, I watched the video. It was clear to me, based on law and understanding police procedures, the officer was wrong. But I started to read the comments. Oh my God, why she just didn't accept the ticket? Why she didn't? Do I, I get it. I understand that. That's not the place to have that conversation. That's not the place to go ahead and just give in. But I understood the context. Because she also understood that she didn't have to sign it. Whoops. But when we're talking about the subconscious factors, the biased of the human nature of the person watching the human experience everyone sees it differently but when you're living in a country where 95% of the people are going to succumb or submit to the actions because of their subconscious programming it's understandable that you see the world differently when you're red-pilled. When you're understanding what it is that you're looking at. But again, does bias still seep in? Absolutely. I've been arrested more than 50 times. But understanding, I still see the world through a slanted lens. I get it. But do I try to give the benefit of the doubt? I try to get as much information as possible. I attempt to. doesn't happen all the time, but I attempt to. And then I make a decision based off the information that's in front of me. So when I'm looking at this 30-minute video, I'm understanding Sharp BUS. 20 minutes. 19 minutes and 59 seconds is too long. So when I look at that, I'm like, okay, the video's 30 minutes long. He was already wrestled. He wasn't wrestling with her until minute 27. So that meant he was already seven minutes over her due process rights. But then the prosecutor made a choice to prosecute her to make an example of her. How dare you don't listen to this police officer who was not following law. But the context of it is undisputed visual evidence when evaluating due process claim becomes actual evidence. Now, many of you also remember in this little, little I guess, gate 
of information through the podcast. I talked about a young man in Georgia. I talked about how I had to inform him of a Georgia statute for hearsay. And it stated, if it is unchallenged, if hearsay evidence is unchallenged, if the video evidence is unchallenged, it becomes evidence. And you cannot challenge it later, which means you can't even bring it up on appeal because you didn't challenge it. You didn't ask for a detailed discovery, so you can't ask for it on appeal. You can't even bring it up in a new case. You have to use what was already presented, which you allowed to be presented because you didn't challenge it in writing because any right being exercised must be done in writing. The pen is mightier than the sword. Where where, where are my people at? That's all I want to know because when I say these things, many of you aren't listening. The ideals of what it is that's necessary to be successful in this game is to understand microwaves don't get you there. Home cooking fills you up, but the execution is what gets you over. Because even when we're talking about it, I talked about the pernicious influence of cognitive imperfections in the courtroom. I even talked about demographic factors, race, gender, and I forgot about the big one, age. Because I touched on it when I talked about, well, back in my time, this is what it was called. But what if? Do you think someone... That 60 is going to see the world the same way as a 20-year-old. Do you think someone 20 is going to see the world of a 40-year-old? But understanding that these are the factors that influence perception. I even talked about that in a couple of podcasts prior. The perception is part of the story that you're telling. It's part of the knowing and challenging of the opposing evidence. It's part of the questions asked during cross-examination. It's the closure where it's saying your name. It's relating. Because I'm gonna give you one of the craziest things because most people didn't don't know this and I'm gonna end up end it on that. I talked about a just a regular arrest. I was telling people about that when I first got to El Paso and I was like, Yeah, you know, when I got arrested in Atlanta, you know, a normal traffic stop for me is being snatched out the car. It doesn't matter if I'm in the driver's seat, passenger seat, back seat, didn't matter. Then snatched out the car. I got a knee on my back, gun to my head. And they're screaming at me, give me your ID. That's a normal traffic stop. From 16 to 40, that's what it was. Here, that's stuff they see on TV. Their perception 
is different. Many of them actually, man, you exaggerate. You you always, and then we see stories coming out of Georgia. We see see troopers stopping a a, a school bus full of dark skinned young women, and then lying, not only in a press conference, but lying. On the cell phone videos. We see. Police officers. And district attorneys in Georgia. Lying. About murdering a young lady. In, in her home. We see a police officer. In Georgia. That's teaching. A boyfriend. Or ex-boyfriend. How to kick open. His stalkers or the woman he's stalking door. We see story after story from traffic stop to traffic stop to senseless crime from one officer being reprimanded for pulling his gun on someone to him murdering someone to him being suspended to him coming back and being in a fourth police shooting to an officer standing over an unarmed young man being indicted for murder and then being able to work for another six years by a prosecutor who states that she doesn't tolerate crime. We watched the videos where they actually go into a home and shoot an unarmed man in the closet. Say they have video. Admit that they watched the video, but then can't find the video. Yes, I'm still talking about ATL Georgia. Do I have inherent biases? Absolutely. But do I also have the cognitive ability to assimilate information? Absolutely. The only question is, are you prepared to become a monster and enforce and enact the requirement the absolute process that is procedural due process if you are ever called in to fight. 